This program is brought to you by Preserve Gold, the number one precious metals IRA provider. Call 855-962-3322. Are tensions between the U.S. and China still on a downward spiral? Another company is getting caught in the crossfire, restricted over so-called national security concerns. But this time, it's not Chinese, it's American. And Beijing's Communist Party is doing the banning. Top chipmaker Micron now no longer allowed to sell semiconductors for use in Chinese infrastructure. This after the U.S. imposed a series of export controls on chipmaking technology to China. What do you think about what's happening? Before we kick off today's show, a quick word from our sponsor, Preserve Gold. Preserve Gold can help you invest in physical gold and silver, either with a direct purchase or through a retirement account with a precious metals IRA. Precious metals are a hot commodity in today's economy with persistent inflation, bank failures, and rising government spending. Now, many Americans are turning to gold and silver to hedge risk. Preserve Gold is one of the nation's fastest-growing gold companies and prides itself on honest business practices and customer care. Check out their online reviews to see for yourself. For a limited time, you can get $200 and 1% cash back when you invest with them. Please call 855-962-3322 to learn more about this offer and get your free investor guide. That's 855-962-3322. News on the U.S.-China competition. Another company now banned over security concerns. But this time, the company is not Chinese. It's American. And China is the one banning it. China's cyberspace regulators said over the weekend that products made by U.S. memory chipmaker Micron had failed its network security review and that the agency would block Chinese infrastructure providers from buying from the company. Here's a closer look at the details. China says a major U.S. chipmaker, Micron Technology, failed a review and poses a national security risk. It announced on Sunday that it was banning them from being used in key infrastructure projects. The move appears to be an escalation of tension over technology and trade between Beijing and Washington. It follows a weeks-long review into Micron by China's cyberspace regulator and could affect everything from transport to telecoms to finance. In a statement, the CAC said it had concluded that Micron, quote, pose significant security risks to China's critical information infrastructure supply chain. The CAC did not provide details on what risks it had found, nor what Micron products would be affected. Within hours, the U.S. Commerce Department said the ban had no basis in fact. Micron gets about 10% of its revenue from China, but it's not clear if the company's sales to non-Chinese customers in the country will be affected. In its own statement, Micron said it had received the CAC's notice and it looks forward to continuing to engage in discussions with Chinese authorities. China's announcement came as world leaders were meeting for the G7 summit in Japan. That same day, U.S. President Joe Biden said they had agreed to de-risk and diversify our relationship with China. The U.S. has already imposed a series of export controls on chip-making technology to China and moved to prevent Micron rival Yancey Memory Technologies from buying certain American components. Sunday's news helped 
boosts stocks of Micron's rivals like South Korea's Samsung, which are seen as benefiting if mainland firms seek memory chips elsewhere. Despite the news, the ban was not a major surprise. Earlier this year, the U.S. urged South Korea to avoid filling chip shortages in China if Micron got banned from selling them in the country. Plus, Micron might have already considered other ways to diversify its supply chains. In March, the company voiced plans to invest up to $3.7 billion in extreme ultraviolet technology, or EUV, in Japan. The technology has cutting-edge chip-making applications. Another American consulting firm is closing its doors in China. That's amid Beijing's continued clampdown on foreign consulting firms. U.S. tech research and advisory firm Forrester Research has decided to shut down its office in China. A company spokesperson said the closure is part of a global restructuring plan. The news comes after Chinese authorities raided the offices of American firms Capvision and Mints. U.S. consulting giant Bain and company also said Chinese police questioned staff in its Shanghai office. Chinese state media say the action aims to protect national security. On the other hand, the European Union's Chamber of Commerce in China says it sends a worrying signal and increases uncertainty. A unified approach against China's growing assertiveness. That's what leaders of some of the world's top democracies have agreed to. The Group of Seven Summit in Japan came to a close on Sunday. In attendance, the U.S., Britain, Canada, France, Germany, Italy and Japan. NTD's Sam Wong has more. Member nations of the G7 Summit agreed to a statement on Sunday, aiming to de-risk without decoupling from China, while urging the regime to play by international rules. The leaders are tightening their grip on critical goods like minerals and semiconductors. U.S. President Joe Biden said the seven nations agreed to reduce economic reliance on China. So we're not dependent on any one country for necessary product. It means resisting economic coercion together and countering harmful practices that hurt our workers. It means protecting a narrow set of advanced technologies critical for our national security. As of now, both the U.S. and Europe rely heavily on foreign sources for critical minerals, an area China currently dominates. The nation released a joint communique at the end of the summit, addressing China's human rights issues while calling for peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait and the South China Sea. They're also calling on China to use its influence to broker peace amid the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Biden said that the U.S. doesn't see Taiwan as an independent nation, but he pledged to put Taiwan in a position where it can defend itself. And there is clear understanding among most of our allies that, in fact, if China were to act unilaterally, there would be a response. Despite never having ruled the island, the Chinese Communist Party views Taiwan as its own territory and aims to take it by force if necessary. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said that China presents a great risk to security and prosperity. Germany, France and Japan were all more cautious with their China stance due to potential impacts on their economies. John Mills, former director of cybersecurity policy for the Defense Department, told NTD that the statements they put out by leaders were strong but late. Um, it's late in the game. These were kind of the kind of comments that should have been said uh, uh, several years ago by these, these, these countries. In response to the summit, China summoned the Japanese ambassador and condemned Britain. Chinese state-run newspaper Global Times called the G7 an anti-China workshop. As of last year, China was Japan's largest market for both imports and exports. That means if China were to retaliate, Japan's economy could face a major blow. The regime also urged the U.S. to change its perception on China and bring ties back on track. 
Sam Wong, NTT News, New York. Will spiraling U.S.-China relations slow their downward descent? The two superpowers are sending signals, with Beijing urging Washington on Monday to take practical action and put diplomacy back on track. A foreign minister spokesperson said the U.S. should stop undermining China's sovereignty and meet Beijing halfway. The remark comes after President Biden said the U.S. and other wealthy democracies are looking to diversify supply chains with China. We're not looking to decouple from China. We're looking to de-risk and diversify our relationship with China. Meanwhile, Biden also said he thinks the relations will soon begin to warm, adding Washington should keep an open hotline with China. President Xi and I agreed we were going to do a meet-on, and then this silly balloon that was carrying two freight cars worth of spine equipment was flying over the United States, and it got shot down, and uh, everything changed um, in terms of talking to one another. I think you're going to see that begin to thaw very shortly. Biden also said he's weighing whether to lift sanctions on China's defense minister Li Shengfu, the U.S. blacklisted Li for buying Russian weapons in 2018. Still, Beijing tapped the sanctioned officials as its new defense chief. The regime refused to let him meet with U.S. defense chief Lloyd Austin next June due to the sanctions. The U.K. says its Confucius Institutes won't be shutting down after all. The British Prime Minister promised to ban the programs, but now he's changing his mind. The Chinese state-sponsored institutes have already closed in several countries. Beijing bills them as culture and language exchange programs. But they're widely seen as a tool China uses to infiltrate the West. NTD's Malcolm Hudson spoke to an expert who called the U-turn disappointing. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has abandoned his pledge to shut down the 30 Chinese state-sponsored Confucius Institutes here in the UK. Mark Sidwell, Director of Research for the Henry Jackson Society, had this to say on the decision. It's an incredibly disappointing thing to hear that Rishi Sunak's gone back on his explicit pledge to close down the UK's Confucius Institutes. A Downing Street spokesperson said the government recognises concerns about Chinese interference in universities. They are pulling government funding from the institutes. But they said they currently judge it would be disproportionate to ban them. On the surface, Confucius Institutes promote Chinese language and culture. But Sidwell said they're deeply tied to the Chinese Communist Party's propaganda network. They're effectively propaganda outlets sitting within our, our most important academic institutions. And it's an insupportable arrangement. An investigation by the Henry Jackson Society found Confucius Institute staff from China must undergo political vetting and vow to follow Chinese law while abroad. Sidwell said when the institutes are in place, they become engaged in activities wider than just education. They're lobbying politicians, they're reaching out to business groups, and they're constantly spreading a very particular uh, message that comes from the CCP. You know, they won't be holding events that uh, deal in great detail with the, the, the problems of the, the Uyghurs and the Uyghur genocide. They won't be dealing with the crackdown on freedoms in Hong Kong. They won't be dealing uh, with the issues of Tibet. The British government recently passed the Higher Education Freedom of Speech Act. Its aim is to ensure freedom of speech and discussion on university campuses. The act came about for domestic reasons, 
because some speakers at universities were being deplatformed or censored. But it may well be that this will provide a, a different route for uh, a crackdown on the Confucius Institutes because uh, the Confucius Institutes very clearly are not concerned with the values of freedom of speech that are at the core of Western universities and what they stand for. Sidwell said it's enormously important for the UK to study Chinese language and culture, saying it plays a vital contribution in the 21st century. But he added that this must not be done through the distorted lens of CCP propaganda. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News London. A new Pacific defense deal helping Washington shore up influence in the region as it competes with China. The U.S. signed an agreement with Papua New Guinea Monday. The nation's prime minister called it mutually beneficial. It secures our national interest to grow into becoming a robust economy in this part of the world as we live today and going forward. So, uh, USA remains the number one economy. USA remains the leader of the free world. For those of us who believe in democracy, for those of us who believe in a Christian worldview, we share many commonalities with the United States of America. The pact involves two parts, security and maritime cooperation. Here's what it does. It expands the Pacific Island nation's defense capabilities, makes it easier for U.S. and Papua New Guinea military forces to train together, and enhances humanitarian aid and disaster response. We are deeply invested in the Indo-Pacific because our planet's future is being written here. And Papua New Guinea is playing a critical role in shaping that future. Blinken led the U.S. delegation instead of President Joe Biden, who cut his Asia trip short to deal with the debt ceiling crisis at home. Papua New Guinea's location just north of Australia makes it strategically significant. It was the site of fierce battles during World War II and is the most populous Pacific Island country. The growing presence of both the U.S. and allies, like India, supports a goal to deter Pacific Island nations from forming security ties with China. That's become a rising concern amid tension over Taiwan and after Beijing signed a security pact with the Solomon Islands. Asked by a reporter about how China ties in, Marape said the deal, quote, has nothing to do with China. Blinken echoed that. The agreements that we've reached, the work that we're doing, is not about any other country. The nations also struck a separate deal. It boosts U.S. Coast Guard patrols in Papua New Guinea's exclusive economic zone to protect its economy from illegal fishing. The full wording of the security agreement will be made public once politicians in both countries have an opportunity for input, likely in a couple of months. Two million dollars, a high price tag for a practical joke, a recent and seemingly innocuous quip incurring the hefty fine in China. Beijing handed down the stiff penalty after a Chinese comedian likened his dog's behavior to an army slogan. Here's how it played out. Li Haoshir went viral on Chinese social media after a live stand-up in Beijing on May 13th. During the show, Lee teased a scene of his two adopted dogs chasing a squirrel. These two dogs reminded me of eight words, fine style of work, capable of winning battles. The audience was heard bursting into laughter, but some took issue with the quote, fine style of work, capable of winning battles. The punchline was coined by Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping in 2013. Xi set it as a goal for China's People's Liberation Army. Beijing's regulators slapped the penalty on the company that hired Li. 
Xiaoguo Cultural Media, the nation's best-known comedy firm, is facing a fine of over $2 million. If it were just about the military, that would still be fine. The point is that the phrase is Xi Jinping's guidance to the military. It can't be quoted in any context other than touting it, let alone using it to describe stray dogs. Officials accused Li of stepping out of line and, in their words, wantonly slandering the glorious image of the army. They also called on the entertainment industry to correct its creative thinking. The company was later suspended from all performances in Beijing. Li was then arrested with the possibility of serving prison time. One analyst called out Beijing for overreacting. It creates a military-first policy climate that could benefit the CCP's plans for a future war in the Taiwan Strait or the rollout of military control nationwide. In mid-February, China's propaganda department banned another celebrity comedian. That entertainer had allegedly mocked Beijing's pandemic control measures during his North American tour. Farmers in southwestern China's Yunnan province are battling a severe water shortage. The region is among the hardest hit by the country's ongoing dry spell. Let's zoom in. A recent video caught residents in Yunnan, China, heading to a hilltop in search of water. The water flow here is strong. You see many hoses. A lot of people came up the mountain today looking for water. We've searched several times. We've searched everywhere. Extreme drought hit more than one-third of the province. Authorities say there hasn't been any major precipitation since the beginning of the year. Many places have also endured heat waves, with temperatures exceeding 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Residents say the lack of an official response drove them to find their own water sources. The water shortage is a problem in rural areas. Rivers and lakes have dried up and water levels are dropping. This problem is prevalent nationwide. Another video shows a cracked field covered with wilted seedlings. In areas of Yunnan bordering Burma, rainfall was abundant in previous years and droughts were rarely seen. The drought in China is widespread, also affecting other areas like Sichuan and western Guizhou. Coming up, how significant is the G7's latest statement on China, put forward by the globe's seven richest democracies? And what signal is China's Xi sending the world by meeting with countries in Russia's backyard? Plus, a look at Washington's latest moves in the Pacific, with a nation caught in the middle of U.S.-China tensions. We hear from John Mills, former director of cybersecurity at the Pentagon and author of The Nation Will Follow, in just a minute, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. What has Washington been doing to win the Pacific Islands back from Beijing's influence? And how should we interpret the G7 statement on Beijing's economic coercion? We spoke to John Mills, retired Army colonel and author of The Nation Will Follow, for insight. Here's what he had to say. John Mills, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you, Tiffany. Always an honor to be on your show. So over the weekend, the G7 summit, summit happened in Japan. All the leaders were talking there. And a lot of the focus was on Russia and Ukraine. Zelensky was there. He got a lot more aid. But there was also a lot of talk about China, encountering China in terms of either de-risking or coercion. How do you read all of this? 
yes, uh, it was a strong statement. Now, the trip was uh, uh, interrupted a little bit because of uh, Biden's uncertainty, because of the debt ceiling battle domestically. He did go. He did not travel to Australia and Papua New Guinea. That would have been a that's a huge lost opportunity. But the leaders that were there, uh, they they did put out a very strong uh, statement, uh, clearly pointed at China, and uh, that was that's a good thing. But um, it's late in the game. These were kind of the kind of comments that should have been said uh, uh, several years ago by these 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 countries. And John, it seems at the same time this G7 summit was happening, Xi Jinping was in Central Asia meeting with five stand countries. You know, you have Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, all of these different countries, Kyrgyzstan. How do you read that? Because these are former Soviet countries, but Russia wasn't invited. This was basically Russia's backyard. How do you read that relationship? Yeah, this is an interesting one. Several several angles simultaneously on this. Uh, one, uh, Xi's audience was both domestic and foreign, but it was a demonstration is that, hey, I lead an alliance also. Now, I don't mean to diminish any of these countries, but uh, um, they are not exactly economic or world powerhouses. Uh, but he can say, look at me. And it is interesting that he did it without uh, Putin. Putin has just is being ground down. And uh, I think it was a statement that uh, she can be a leader without P Putin even in the room. Uh, so, yeah, there's definitely a statement there. The U.S. did just renew the COFA agreements with Palau and Micronesia. But just how important are these Pacific Islands? Because it seems in some ways they're being overlooked. But what is their importance? And John, on the flip side, you mentioned Beijing's deal with the Solomon Islands basically puts them behind our defenses in the second island chain. What is the second island chain exactly and how important is it to the U.S.? Oh, it's all important. The first island chain is, of course, uh, Taiwan in the center, the Philippines below, which now we have new defense agreements and new bases. Okay, that's good, because that was the weak shoulder, was the left shoulder. The right shoulder, uh, and you have Japanese islands, obviously Okinawa, but also uh, Ishigaka that are right up behind. Uh, those are being fortified, those are good. Uh, the second island chain is where we're gonna generate and project force coming from America and Hawaii further to uh, deter and if necessary defeat uh, any kind of Chinese communist uh, military moves. And from bottom to top, that goes Palau, Ulithi, Guam, Tinian, and Saipan. And you could also say the Solomon Islands in some ways, but that's kind of now behind us. Now, if we could establish an agreement with Papua New Guinea, that actually potentially blocks blocks uh, Chinese movement to and from the Solomon Islands. So then it, you would say the second island chain is the land on Papua New Guinea, uh, then Palau, Ulithi, Guam, Tinian, and Saipan. John Mills, thank you so much for your time. Tiffany, thank you so much. An honor to be with you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.